What am I? What is the relationship between my mind and my body? The mind-body problem is an age-older problem. One of the questions you ask yourself, are your thoughts, feelings, perceptions, sensations, and which thing that happen in addition to all the physical process in your brain? Or are they as themselves just some of those physical processes? And what about gut feeling, instant? How we can anticipate uncertainty and predict situations before it happens? Do we understand why that happened to us? So when it comes to design robots or soft robots, one of the questions we can ask, should the brain and the body evolve at the same time? Should it be designed in a supervised way or open-ended way as we have in our nature? What kind of design we should aspire for? Optimal or adaptable? One of the questions we can ask, how do these robots can function at open-ended environment and anticipate the uncertainty? What if there's damage happening to the brain or the body? How they can adapt to each other in this scenario like that? What we are still lacking in designing robots to achieve the embodied intelligence? In this series, we are going to interview researchers from interdisciplinary field to answer these questions and trying to understand what are the missing pieces so that we can achieve embodied intelligence. And what kind of tools or series we need to develop for solving the dilemma of mind-body problem. First of all, we would like to say thank you for Professor Fumia Lida for initiating the International Workshop in Embodied Intelligence, as well as this podcast series idea as a part of the workshop. It was the first time in our field to have such a great event to stitch all the leading researchers and ask the basic questions and what could be the direction for achieving the embodied intelligence. I hope you enjoy listening to this series, and here's the interview. Thank you. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Um, hello, Professor Takashi. Thanks so much for joining us in the Embodied Intelligence uh, series. I'd like okay. to ask you how you would like to define yourself or the audience who may be first time listening to you. Um, I have been working on artificial life research for more than 30 years now so this is my uh, kind of major thing uh, so as uh, uh, so my background is physics uh theoretical physics and I, I i want to understand what's life what is life and what is um what is evolution what is consciousness is always my uh, big big theme that's yeah. what i have been working on yes so if i ask you firstly for people because of embodied intelligence from you research in search years what is actual embodied intelligence is uh, well, well, actually, you said important thing. Important intelligence, yeah. Important intelligence. I no, always... Embodied intelligence, embodied intelligence. Uh, embodied intelligence, yes, yes, uh, of course. Yeah, for me, is uh, usually that people think um, uh, the computer is a good metaphor, right? Mm. Uh, for, for brain systems. So computer, we have a hardware and software, right? So we have a Apple or Windows, and then we put uh, the same Microsoft uh, software, for example, right, on a, on the Mac or on the Windows machine. Yes, but for 
when we think about brain, do we have a software and hardware here? That's the big question. And embodied intelligence is something, um, software and hardware is not completely separable. When you look at the hardware, it's always same software at the same time. And when you look at what's going on in the brain, and that's software, but it's actually it's a hardware property. So that's mm -hmm. something I said. Uh, it's it's a denying the metaphor of computer, and we are making some new kind of. Uh, uh, we have to make a new kind of theoretical um, experimental model that is account for brain intelligence, uh, the brain, how the mind works, and how the brain functions. That's to me is uh, inseparable nature of brain, uh, hardware and software in brain. To me, is embodied in embodied intelligence. Embodied intelligence is means hardware equals software. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure whether it's make it clear or not, but yeah. So maybe a question I would like to: When you create artificial life, what kind of question do you ask yourself? For example, we have the question whether we it is necessarily to have the body and the brain evolve simultaneously. And or we can do that individually, like the brain is evolving or the or the body is evolving individually. And do you think we have to go in a supervised way or open-ended, like where we have an evolution? And should it be optimistic, like optimal or adaptable? So how do you look for this kind of questions when you try to create artificial life? Uh, that's a difficult question, but uh, um people ask me what's the definition of artificial life is and then my answer is always uh, it's about the theory of brain and the theory of, of evolution right so artificial life is all about theory of brain and evolution right so do we need like a four billion years to have uh, this life form so uh, um, can we accelerate not the four billion years but uh, 30 minutes that we can get this life forms that's what artificial life is, is want to understand. Whether it's, you know, this is actually a necessary time span to get uh, this evolution or not, right? And for, for the, as you said, also co-evolution of brain and embodiment, uh, brain and body, uh, that's a tough question. And usually that uh, we see something is moving in the, in the computer space, then we say that's, that's a body, right? Uh, it's, it's a movement. So movement, the life emerges in motion is something that we want to understand. Life emerges in motion, not you know static structure or something. But uh, once it's moving by itself, then the, then where we can find life. That's one of the spirit of artificial life, I think. So I'm going to ask you when we apply this to design of the robot, for example, soft robots. Do you yeah. think the way we design the system, for example, uh, do you think we have to um, design new architectures for the controller, for example? Do you think that we, the way we design the morphology, because we see in nature already there's creation, they all depend on their uh, intelligence through their morphologies and adapting to the environment. Yeah. So how do you see the current uh, approaches we take in research when it comes to robotics, frigid one or soft robotics? What could be different here this way answers this question? Yeah, of course, you know, that's exactly what I said, you know, whether the software is um, uh, independent from hardware or not. If it's not separable from each other, then we form is what we call intelligence, right? So we, we have to think about the morphological structures 
that's where the intelligences can be discussed. But if they are separable, then we study uh, internal structure as a neural network, and then put that neural network in, in any kind of forms. So I'm um, sort of against this kind of uh, um, approach. I think, you know, uh, internal and external is, is more connected to each other in some, in, in some, in some complex ways. So for example, like I did uh, oil droplet, it's moving around by itself. So there's only a chemical reactance, but the self, self-organizing me, there is a droplet is, is self-organized emerging, right? And this droplet, there's a, a vertical uh, vortices is, is forming inside, the, inside uh, this oil droplet. Then it's moving around by itself. So people, well, this is a chemical uh, bulbs vehicle or something, right? Because they can sense the environment, then they can move. And then sometimes they can uh, self-dividing each by self. So this is like a, a typical, well, you can call it, it's a chemical active matter or something, but that's the beginning of a soft matter robotics, I think. And I also I also wrote, wrote a paper on this. So um, um, currently that people are more like uh, mind and body is a separable philosophy, which is people's, you know, like a hundred years ago that people tried to deny it, right? Well, the cult, for example, like they have a self and then its mind is in the body, right? But what I, what we have found for the last 30 years is that, no, 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 that's a, the body itself is what the mind is coming from, right? If you put the mind in this body, then mind changes because of this body structures. So that's something I, I think is interesting. So it's not separable. Mind is affected pretty much by the body structures, you know, boundary conditions. But also the body itself, how it can move around, is also controlled by the mind. So I think the, the first assumption that mind and body is separable from each other is a wrong assumption. I think they are more internally connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And do you think, for example, let's have argument here in case of maybe damage. We speak in robots for that case. Damage yes. in the brain. Where's the concept of redundancy here? If you have the body and the brain, I suppose the damage happening in the body and you still have this brain. Of course, this is really complicated because we have this incarnation. Where do you see the redundancy could become here? If we speak about robots uh, or maybe in life, if you have something like with damage happening in the body and damage happening in the brain and you need this redundancy concept, you can still have a functionality. It, uh -huh. Do you ever thought about that? Well, you know, when we say homeostasis, is all about, it's all about this uh, redundancy. But when you say a redundancy means that it's not like, you know, once you broke this part of your body and then it just stops. That's, mm -hmm. There's no redundancy. That's what you mean. And about, yeah. even if you, uh, you got injured here or you got, you know, brain injured, still you try to, you know, uh, compensate your uh, functionality. Yes. So uh, I think um, pre -pre what we call preoceptive uh, information flow is floating within the body. And this is also, it's, uh, it's about the em em environment, right? So it's not the boundary is between your body and the environment. It's more like, you know, it's a kind of fuzzy boundary. You cannot say, yeah, this is, uh, this is my body, but it's not. This is the environment, this is not environment, but it's more like uh, continuously, 
you know, uh, changing from the environment to the body. That's, I think, the idea of soft robotics. For example, like oil droplet, environment, and then surface of the droplet. But it's uh, when you look look the surface of the droplet carefully, there is a bunch of chemical reactions going on and particles, you know, leaving and coming, and you know, there's a bunch of holes in it. So, as a different scales gives you a different perspective of what's the boundaries and what's the redundancies between you know body, mind, and homeostatic structures of those of those systems. Mm -hmm. I'm guess in that case, what's something do you think when you answer this question? You think it still may be missing when we come to design soft robots or robots? Do you think mm -hmm. we don't really give attention to this part, either in the brain design or the morphology design? Just to give a concrete uh, picture for audience listening. What's something you think still we don't give much attention or still may be missing and we need yep. to consider? Yep. Well, that's, um, that's I think, um, um, what I call a massive, massive data flow from the environment. So in, in short, I think you have to take into account more seriously what's the uh, missing information coming from the environment. Your sensor is so, you know, uh, Design uh, narrow, narrow in being narrow, so that you cannot get you know you can only get the small portion of the information coming from the environment, right? But actually, what we see is a bunch of information flow around us, and that is what our that organizes our experiences. So the current robotics has memory, actions, and perceptions, but they don't have any. Uh, Leave the body, for example. Like uh, there, there's no leave the body means that you cannot experience it. What's the the actual experiences, right? So it's a it's a huge difference. Is like uh, if you even if you use like a um, uh, variational autoencoder or deep learning, for example, you can make a representation of the environment, right? However, this representation of the environment is not equal to actual environment, right? It's much much comp uh, compressed. A much fewer degrees of freedom. So if you go to the real environment, you are pretty much you know um, uh, astonished, uh, you know, elaborate by this uh, huge amount of uh, complexity that you can find in the environment. So what we are missing is a uh, actual you know uh, excessive amount of complexity and information which is exists in the environment, and that's something that we have to take into account, which. You know the actual biological system is 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 really taking into account those complexity. That's why living system is so different from robotics. I think mm -hmm. that's very interesting. So maybe a quick question here about the embodied intelligence and interaction with the environment. So when we design the robot interacting with unstructured environment, how do you see the limitation when we try to adapt? Because we try to find the solution. What kind of structure do we need? What kind of intelligence do we? aspire to have. So how do you see the relationship or limitation between the design of embodied intelligence, the morphology and, and the and brain, taking account the environment? How do you see the current robot taking account this triangle mm -hmm. elements? Well, uh, maybe this is very much like a uh, um, mediocre answer, but the environment, the complexity of the environment is still, is difficult to take into account, right? Usually the people are using like experimental room and then robot is moving in a clean room, right? But what we have to think about is a more dirty, you know, environment. Like, you know, a famous artist, Namjoon Pike, 
in 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 from uh, Vietnam, and he he made a like a stupid uh, robot, right, with long arms and you know like uh, ugly body. But this robot that he put this robot into the traffic, right? I mean to the, to the city, and then walking with this robot. But the robot was hit by the car, right? And he was uh, killed by the car, right? So the people say this robot was the first uh, robot which was uh, killed by the traffic accident. Mm. So it's, um, you know, un unpredicted um, uh, environmental complexity or uncom uncomputable, unpredictable something. It's that's what the definition of environment is, right? Environment, the definition of environment is not just, you know, here's a platform or here's a wall or here's a cup, but the real environment is you cannot predict you cannot um, compute, you cannot see, right? So that's what that's what actually uh, human beings and other animals are surviving. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference. That we have to take into account this complexity. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. So we have a question left. The first one in your lab, what kind of maybe uh, the challenging question, something still hard to understand in your lab and you're trying to, yeah, to consider either design questions, challenging maybe, uh, yeah, still something hard to understand for, for what you're trying to do. Um, so one is like a collective intelligence. So the collectiveness is like a, our body is also, a, you know, the bunch of cells. And then each, and then also, you know, um, yeah, but that's what I, but that's exactly what I would have to say. So the our body is uh, made out of a bunch of cells and then, uh, birds flocking together. They also have a bunch of uh, individuals, right? But they always flocking and then making a huge swarms. And then when you see that the honeybees hive, and then, you know, thousands of bees is interacting with the, each other and they have a different uh, functions and different uh, roles in the hive. And this division of labor is, is the basis of the collective intelligence, right? So the collectiveness is something, it's not a, a simple self-organization like, you know, they are ordered in this way or, you know, just aggregating in this way, but it's uh, making a, a, a division of labors and then making a new functions. And on top of it, because of those function, functionalities that you can make another functionalities on top. So this kind of collective intelligence is something that we really have to understand. So in, in our lab, we are collecting honeybee. I mean, there's a data from uh, 1,000 honeybees is individual tracking. So the entire tracking is something that we try to, we, we are working on now. And then see what's the new theory for collective intelligence is something that we are working on now. Mm -hmm. That's great, yeah. So were there any direction that you thought, for example, in understanding what is intelligence and what to try to do like, you have this kind of maybe perception, but when you try to apply in a robot with very you know, surprising or didn't, you didn't expect this behavior. For example, we have the emotion behavior and what we see and some yeah. say it, we didn't expect this behavior. Did you have yeah. something like that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, that's the that, that's the main uh, you know purpose of what what I am doing research, and then what the the science is all about, right? For example, like a collective behaviors that one. So the numbers of the the age agent is up to from one thousand to two thousand to ten thousand to hundred thousand, right? To to the million, 
and then like over 10,000 or something that the structure is make a big transitions. So the, uh, the size is changing into uh, quality. The quality is changed by the scales, right? So the collective intelligence, the interesting thing is that you, you don't expect that something is different quality emerges at certain size, right? But that's what I found in, in our SOM behavior, SOM, in, uh, SOM studies in a computer. And then also the robot is something uh, that's, that's one, one of the collective behaviors uh, that we found. And also the robot uh, experiment that the robot is trying to imitate human behavior. And then, so the information flow is, is people say that it's always from uh, people to robot Android because information is always, uh, a human has a pose, a human has a poses and uh, behaviors, and then robot is trying to imitate it. That's why the information is coming from, from human to robot, right? However, because the robot is, is quite often fails to imitate human behavior, right? But the human, you know, coming to interact with robot, uh, try to help robot, I mean, try to imitate robot. We didn't say anything to, 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 to people, but the people, you know, started to imitate robot. So the information flow is now, it's, uh, it's a reverse. From, from the robot to human, because now the human, uh, the people coming to interact with robot is imitating robot. So uh, it's a mutually, um, so you can say turn taking or you can say mutual imitation is emerging without telling anything. So that's another example that we found was very interesting. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. And since I call the end of your question, the first one, what's your aspiration for your research? something aspire to understand about artificial life, or you, you sometimes you think about that what I want to do in coming years. Maybe still crazy, but you think about it in your mind. Do you have any kind mm. of thoughts like that? Um, can, can you repeat the question again? Yeah. You mean, I, um, can, can I, I, I? Yeah, I'm asking you, what is your aspiration for your research when it comes to artificial life? Do you have any kind of crazy ideas or thoughts? Sometimes you try to think that I just want to do in the coming years, it's still hard. It's not no one think about, but it's just crazy. Maybe still, uh -huh. I don't know if you have a kind of source like that. I I I do. You know, uh, you know, like um, um. Well, well, actually, there are many, but the one thing is like as I said, you know, the environment or uh, the robot is in a totally uncomputable world, right? So um. Uh, we do have to understand this uncomputable, ungrounded nature of the environment. That's what the robot experiment is about. So we don't have to, we're not going to, you know, make a complete uh, mathematical formula that can solve everything, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a uh, sort of contrary to that. I mean, we have to make a robot to understand that how this world is so unsolvable and so uncomputable. That's what I want to show uh, by the ex robot experiment. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, so that's the one thing. And then, also, um, yeah, in terms of evolution, right? So I am always thinking that whether the evolution is uh, can be accelerated or not, right? As I said, why do we need uh, four billion years to, to have these life forms? What about 30 minutes? What about one hour? And that's something that I want to solve this puzzle. Uh, <laughs> then I am challenging, right? Like uh, simulating a huge, uh, uh, evolving system in a computer 
yeah, someday I'm expecting to see uh, suddenly it changes and then some a little trick can accelerate the evolutionary rate. And that's what I want to understand. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you for sharing that. So do you think ego is important for you? Your ego, when it comes to new ideas, is important for you? Yeah, I, I, I think so, yes. <laughs> yeah, do you have any kind of, yeah, kind of yeah, like uh, criticism for your ideas sometimes in the field when you try to do something? Do you, you face yeah, the criticism? It, it always, you know. <laughs> okay, how do right. you deal with that? How do you deal with this criticism? How you well, you know, uh, well, I, I'm very happy to have a uh, criticism because uh, that's the only way you can improve your theory and then you can improve your uh, uh, way of modeling and then designing robot, right? Or designing experiments. Without criticism, it's nothing, right? No, nobody's under, under interested in what you're doing. That's, that's what I mean, what people think. So I think uh, criticism is all, it's all about science. Yeah, that's what I, but that's my understanding. Yeah. And what could be the most important quality you have gained while being working uh, in the field and in these ideas? What could be the most important quality? Yeah. Um, you mean important quality for you, like persistence? You had like failure and, and ideas, and you try to keep going. Yeah, something like that. Qualities. Yeah. Uh huh. Let me think. Um, well, I think, you know, like uh, for now, you know, um, um, my way of, I didn't know what I, what I, I already told you this, but the offloaded agency is something that I got from, uh, from all this uh, experiment means that, you know, I try to understand the algorithm is only all about, you know, how to generate life from scratch, right? So the life equals to generative uh, algorithmic processes. However, when I'm doing an experiment with, with Android and human being, then, you know, life is, or agency or mind is offloaded from, or contagious, contagious from other uh, human living systems to robot. So that's something that I, I, I thought was a, it's, it's a great idea and I want to develop this idea. Of course, it's, it's been uh, criticized a lot, but I, I still think that, you know, because this uh, it, mind is offloaded or contagious from, from, from living systems to non-living systems, right? That's what artificial life is about. But that's what we, first of all, we have to understand. It's, it's kind of what I call panspermia hypothesis. Panspermia hypothesis, life is not emerged on Earth, but it's coming from other planets and then launched on, the, on, on Earth. And then it's evolving, right? That's what the panspermia hypothesis is about. Mm -hmm. And maybe the mind is too, right? You cannot make out the first mind, right? From, from non-living non systems, but maybe the mind or agency is coming from already existing living systems. So that's why I call it. it's a mind, uh, panspermia hypothesis of mind or agency. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And lastly, what was the best advice I was given to you? And um, yeah, was life changing? The best advice was given to you. Um, uh, excuse me, sorry. So uh, nice. what, what is the best advice was given to you, and was a life changing? Was it personally or professionally? The best advice uh -huh. was given to you. Uh -huh. Well, uh, that's a tough question, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, let me think. Um,
Well, but don't don't try to solve uh, by thinking by yourself. But maybe first of all, do some computer simulations or anything that you can. Uh, you have to interact with uh, with with non non self from you. Then maybe you can get some good idea from that. So for me, that was a computer simulation. So I was trying to do just you know with papers and pencil, which is a theoretical physicist is you know usually is is about right. Okay, there's a you know whiteboard with pen. Then I can solve everything. But that's what the physicist's uh, typical attitude. But so when I was a master student, that some my uh, my my colleague came to me and I said, Takashi, I know that you're smart, but you have to, you, you need some other thing. You need other, some intelligent things like computers. At that, at that time, we have a personal computers around us. So why don't you do just computer simulation that gives you some uh, different kind of insights. So that was a good advice for me. Um, then the more personal advice that you said, right? And the more personal thing is uh, uh, like John Lennon says, uh, life is, is all about, is something uh, that uh, life matters. Uh, life is something that why why do you are making something busy, right? So it means that uh, you uh, try to plan something, but mm. uh, you always have to change your plan, right? And that's all about life. And then I think this metaphor is can be applicable yeah. to, to the robot and the mini team. Right? You cannot design this way, but always, you know, perturbated or uh, you know challenged by some other thing, so that you really have to change it. But that's how what we will have to understand is it's a good advice. It's from Absolutely. John Lennon, by the way. <laughs> that's, that's really meaningful. So thank you, Professor Takashi, for your time and for sharing the inspiring work and such an honor to have you on this series. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>